Hey there, I'm Breezy. Welcome to Breezy Lifestyle. This real and super helpful series is called From Struggle to Success. I bridge a majorly helpful gap. I bravely share my real life struggles and show how neuroscience and psychology tools absolutely can create a better life for all of us without prescription medication. We discover the power within ourselves and how to shape the world around us as we need it for a lifetime. Through the foundation of science in my real life, I show how you can turn any struggle into an absolute success without totally having to change who you are. It's all about making better choices every day to feel better as to live better for a lifetime. I took back control of my life and so can you. Welcome to From Struggle to Success. I've received countless messages about how to identify if people in our life are good for us or not. And yeah, a lot of these messages were asking, hey, am I in a friendship or a relationship with a narcissist? I think we get to that in this podcast, and we get to a lot of other things too. Yes, we can use our boundaries and standards to identify, but what if we have a tendency to let in people that feel good, but are not in actuality acting in good ways? at least from our point of view. As usual, our neuromodulator dopamine can trick us to go towards chosen people in our life that offer us feelings of excitement, sexuality or intimacy, or even intoxicating effects. Dopamine does not care what we go towards. It just cares that it is activated by our forward motivated motion. This is why we always have to put effort and awareness into the choices we make every day. When we let in too many people into our life that are of ill intent and are only motivated to self-serve, over time our nervous system can become deeply dysregulated and therefore we can experience mental, emotional, physical and or cognitive issues and ailments. After sitting within the realm of social psychology for a couple months, exploring how best to tackle these incessant and totally warranted inquiries, I realize it is as simple as dividing humans into their categories of intent and motivation. This psychological dividing, or reciprocity styles, of human types is called givers and takers. To be a bit more defined, we can actually add a third category of humans referred to as matchers. Before I get started, I have to ask, what do you think you are? Are you a giver, a taker, or a matcher? Furthermore, because I'm curious, do you think a matcher might be synonymous to a people pleaser? Or do you think a matcher is a healthy balanced approach to social situations and relationships. Imagine the following. You need help moving furniture next week and are about to meet up with friends for lunch. You have the opportunity to ask them to help you move or not. Which of the following would you do? Ask your friends if they will move all of your stuff. Ask your friends if they will move all of your stuff. Ask your friends if they will help you move all the stuff you cannot move on your own. Tell your friends you are stressed out having to move and do not know right now 
how you are going to get it all accomplished, but by God willing, it will somehow happen. Your answer directly reflects your reciprocity style determining how you approach interactions. And yes, your reciprocity style shifts and is likely context dependent just a little bit. All right, let's define what a giver, taker, and matcher are for humans. We're gonna start off with givers. Givers essentially postpone their own priorities to help others succeed. Givers identify and honor other people's needs. Givers proactively put in effort in place of others. They will even take on the mental burdens that belong to others. I am a huge offender of this. Extreme givers always offer help, at times even without being asked. Givers can be hyper alert to others. Givers can be at different points on the continuum, literally taking care of your responsibilities, giving up their time to listen to your baggage, creating and executing solutions for you, showing up for you when you are having your third emotional breakdown of the week and it's only Tuesday. Givers may accidentally give up their own needs to fulfill the needs of others. Again, huge offender. Being an intense giver may mean codependency is really running the show. I was codependent for a lot of my 20s. One reason humans become codependent adults is because in childhood, their emotions were ignored and or punished. When children are emotionally neglected, it can lead to an adult with low self-esteem and shame. I was a walking flesh suit of shame and just overall like, I feel like just dark feelings for most of my 20s because I was carrying what I was given from my childhood. I walked away from my childhood thinking I was broken, evil, and unlovable. 1,000%. And for the longest time, I could not figure out why. I was a straight-A student. I chose to give myself a curfew, even though all the caregivers did not mind when I was home. I was immensely involved in extracurriculars. I started work at age 12 and was hardcore working as soon as I turned 16 because then I could like drive to a better chosen job. I grew up in a small farming village so anything was at least 25 minutes away but really anything substantial was 45 minutes away. I was a great kid. I was everyone's friend until they stepped over my boundaries. I never set out to hurt others and I surely did not take from others as that seemed dangerous. I, I moved away from taking. I did not like that action or behavior for a lot of my life. It seemed very risky. Somehow, as I walked out of the chaotic village home and into my first rental as an 18-year-old, I thought of myself as completely worthless, and I thought that I was made up of darkness. At this point in my life, I did not understand my anxiety, growing depression, life-choice-induced ADHD, inherited bipolar, and the ever-colorful OCD. I just thought I was terrible, and in turn, that made me feel terrible. There are actually different types of givers. There's, there's variations of givers and takers. And one type of giver is an unhappy giver. If you feel you identify mainly as a giver, I ask you this. Are you okay with giving, and is it something you do silently? 
or after some honest reflection, do you complain or despair over what you have done for others, especially in lieu of yourself? Unhappy givers are very acutely aware of being givers, yet they grudgingly grab other people's work rather than set boundaries. Unhappy givers may seek external validation and feel that if they say no, then others won't find them valuable. If you think about the childhood story I just shared, perhaps you can see how trauma can shape our reciprocity style and how we actually feel about our behaviors. Even though unhappily giving, this type of human feels secure knowing that people need them and they almost suffer from a fear of missing out. I know I did. I have had to put in years of deep work to override my reciprocity style. I've had to rewire how my autonomic nervous system wants to instantly respond when others ask me for help. Or I notice they need help even without asking. I even went to trauma therapy to learn how to not help everyone all the time. It is important we only help those that ask for help. This being said, we might find ourselves surrounded by people that have identified ourselves as a giver and take advantage of our giving via their taking. Most unhappy givers truly want to limit their giving, but feel compelled to give and may even dig for extra work in their attempts to help. This is the nervous system trying to ease itself by giving, though in fact, if we are overgiving, this is a maladaptive behavior that doesn't serve us in the real world, as well as can jumble up our internal world. Unhappy givers have a lot of built-up resentment. They get overwhelmed helping others and worry about their own priorities being put on hold. They blame the takers without realizing how they encourage them. They get stuck in a vicious cycle of grabbing work to help and feeling resentful. Me, in a nutshell, so many years of my life. I just super overhelped and I never helped myself. And then I would blame the people around me that I chose to help, that somehow it was their fault that they were taking from me. Bizarre. I used to get immensely pissed off at a majority of the people in my life. Though some of this has to do with lower emotional regulation and built-up aggression from childhood and, and having CPTSD, I have also identified that a lot of my inability to regulate was because I was surrounded by takers. I welcomed a slew of takers into my life. Yep, my choice. I can recall being at so many gatherings or outings and I was the only person handling anything and everything. Everyone seemed to be relaxing or having so much fun, except me. It was like I was the mama bear workhorse superwoman. No wonder I was invited to everything all the time. I was free labor and then some. Being a business owner meant I have a lot going on in my life, a lot of opportunities that I can share with others, as well as a lot of free swag. There are dozens of people during the time of developing a friendship, as well as in retrospect, I can totally see how they were just piggybacking off of my life. I would grow so frustrated with my friends, and rightfully so. I thought a lot of my negative feelings were my own fault, and indeed, in some ways, they were, because I chose those people to be in my life, 
because I did not evaluate them properly alongside my boundaries and standards. These people, these takers, clearly were not in my lane. Our lane is our boundaries and standards, and I had a huge tendency to just swerve outside of it when making friends and establishing acquaintances. Does this sound familiar? Have you ever been lonely? Have you ever moved to a new state? Have you ever just been somewhere where you don't know anybody? Usually we try to make connections and we're gonna try and make connections as fast as we can. It's kind of more of a quantity rather than quality thing when we are lonely or alone. So moving on, we're, let's get to these takers. Fascinating creatures, am I right? Are you a taker? The psychology of a taker is to get as much as possible from an interaction and give little to nothing in return, says human behavior expert Travisha Williams, PhD. They thrive on seizing the self-centered benefits of encounters and relationships with other people. I love that phrasing, self-centered benefits. Takers seek and accept assistance all the time. Takers certainly love when givers identify their needs before making them known. That's royal treatment to some takers. Takers may be well-meaning people who are simply insensitive to the needs of others and preoccupied with their own to-do list. For me, it's hard to imagine someone means well and yet doesn't mean to practice consideration. Truth is in the behavior of people. The perception of a taker regarding the amount of taking they indulge in is mostly an understatement of reality. They often do not introspect and they rationalize taking by being convinced that they are too busy with real priorities. It's well-deserved or somehow they explain it away as karma coming back to them in a positive way. Takers have a heightened awareness of doing even minor things for others and an extremely weak sense of getting major help from others. In other words, takers have a limited capacity for realizing how often they take. But when it comes to giving, it is super blown up and usually a big deal to them. I couldn't agree more with this fundamental definition of takers, as well as my reiteration of it. Takers seem oblivious to what they are doing, but seem keenly aware when they are not getting what they want. I have had so many lady friends that are takers. A great example is the following, and I bet we have all experienced this as well, as done this to someone at least once. You show up to hang out, and if you're anything like me, this hangout is not often and highly anticipated. Hi, all the introverts out there. I love my friends, but being a major introvert, I do not require a lot of time shared. This being said, the time shared indeed needs to be quality time or else I am stepping the F out of that quote-unquote friendship. PSA, we are not each other's therapists and toxic femininity has confused us to believe our feelings are not only ultimate reality, but our feelings are to be heavily over-talked about. Dare I posit that we should run our mouth on solving problems rather than incessantly living through our problems. Okay, so you show up to hang out and expect it to be some quality time. Before you know it, you are 45 minutes at least 
into listening to your friend yammer on and on about her latest crush or boyfriend. And there is no sign of it coming to an end. So she is fixating on her new dopamine crush. Let's get honest here. You are pretty sure she's repeating herself and saying the same few things in a slew of different emotionally wrapped up ways, right? She's obsessing and fixating on her own feelings. Talking about this person is creating quite the same chemical slurry as when she's around that person. So she's basically intoxicating herself by using me, for example, as a soundboard to relive this person over and over again. So you don't actually exist. I don't actually exist. I'm just being talked at. You're just useful to them and their needs. This is not okay and you deserve reciprocity, majorly so. You also deserve to be able to speak about what's going on in your life too. In this regard, if you have or are experiencing anything like this, I urge you to question this connection. Yeah, you may love this person, but if we know anything about the human experience and establishing lifelong connections and partnerships, love is absolutely a never enough. Just because you love something or someone, it doesn't mean it needs to be a part of your life. And if you choose to have things or people in your life that you love, but they ultimately take from you, here are some things you should expect. Healthy-minded friends notice your decision-making and determine if you are the right kind of human to be in their life. Are you a healthy human? After all, you clearly cannot honor your own boundaries and standards. Are you going to always honor theirs or do they have to worry about you overstepping? It's a red flag to overstep your own needs and quality people notice this. I meet a lot of people all the time and it blows my mind how much people will rewrite their narrative on the drop of a dime or change their truth as to fit something that they just chose to do or someone they're choosing to date. Like, yeah, this is my boundary, but he's the exception. I love him so much. Are you fucking kidding me? Moving on. You will battle with yourself and ultimately lose the fight. Your mind will be telling you the truth of the matter that your needs are not being reciprocated and or met. Your nervous system will surely become dysregulated and you may experience anxiety, symptoms such as nausea and the onset of autoimmune disorders. You will not feel comfortable even though you're telling yourself everything is all right. Want to learn more about how we can't lie to ourselves? Check out the recent podcast and blog post on toxic positivity or false gratitude. The ailments I took on were alopecia, acid reflux, adult acne, anxiety, and paranoia, just to name a few. Do you think certain people are worth compromising mental, physical, or emotional health and well-being? I really had to ask myself this, and it took years to get honest and real and start making the better choices. How about this? When we love something that is not good for us so much that we continue to move toward it, not only has that become a useless habit, it has likely grown into a low-grade addiction. We can become addicted not to just the feeling of love, but to particular 
people, places, and things. The toxic relationship most of us have with our phones is truly a low-grade addiction, as well as our phone is clearly taking and taking while offering a false sense of giving. Similar to how givers can be happy or unhappy, takers can really feel the feels too. Let's look at the difference between unhappy and happy takers. Unhappy takers might just be anxious matchers that can't show up to give from time to time. Apparently, unhappy takers are mostly well-meaning people who are aware that they get help more than they provide help. They justify being takers by thinking of the situation as temporary, but they're not at ease. They have a nagging feeling of doing something wrong that they are unable or unwilling to pinpoint. It's really interesting. Unhappy takers are likely anxious humans trying to cope with meeting their needs as well as struggling to move toward helping others. Anxiety can hinder us from doing exactly what we want in our mind, especially when it involves other humans. I know to this day, even on this day, I had so much anxiety reaching out to a woman asking her if she wanted to do a free photo shoot and she got a whole bunch of free stuff too. What was I afraid of asking her for? It's so amazing how anxiety can be like this all-consuming mindset and hinder us from doing exactly what we need. Unhappy takers feel overwhelmed with their own stuff and their intention is to help others once they have more time or social wherewithal. Unhappy takers want to change but are unable to put effort into at least for now. Again, this could be because of underlying anxiety and fears. I definitely have been an unhappy taker in super small points of my life. Actually, I don't know. Maybe I've been an unhappy matcher. Huh. This is something interesting to think about. I hope you, you all are thinking about yourself along this thought journey of giver, takers, and matchers. I am blown away at how I have been each one of these things at least once in my life. Humans are so fascinating. Are you the kind of person that does not help when overwhelmed? Do you only help when you have ample free time? Does helping when overwhelmed make you feel better, worse, or neutral? Moving on to happy takers. Happy takers are very happy to take and take and take. After all, they deserve it. Happy takers accept help all the time, almost as a right. At best, happy takers perceive themselves as being just a tad bit of a taker. They feel entitled. They think that the givers are lucky to associate with them, and they may even believe that they are doing the givers a favor by providing them with opportunities to help. <laughs> this sounds like a narcissist if you ask me. They view their givers as having excess time, money, and resources to help. Their go-to line is, my plate is full. Happy takers believe that the discussion about being a giver or taker is unnecessary. Since they feel that taking isn't really a big deal, especially if you are friends. Why bring business into friendship? Happy takers are unable to see a major difference between themselves and their givers obviously. The givers proactively offer help and they don't. 
Happy takers see themselves as having a busy life with real priorities, including a non-negotiable leisure time. Mm. I feel like I see this actually more and more as a certain type of female gets older. Is that there's this whole toxic self-care mindset and we have to have like two to four hours to ourselves every day. But what are you actually doing? Like, and I and I have really dug into what's actually being done. Phone scrolling. Phone scrolling. Phone scrolling. Yeah, for the most part. It's really it's really hard almost to take a lot of people seriously nowadays when everybody's so busy, but you can see how much time they're spending on social media every day. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke, if you ask me. And as a business owner who is truly busy, I still have free time every single day. You want to know why? Because I prioritize my availability. My priorities are not to be a selfish arsehole. My priorities super reside in community. I have this immense community mindset, one that seems almost non-existent in this world, Hopefully I'll find more of my people, but hopefully we can just all grow together as a community and create a community with, you know, an awesome like growth mindset and all this goal setting and we can all work together rather than against each other. Because I do believe at this point in time in our modern world, we are working against each other. Unhappy takers live in a hierarchy where they are at the top looking down at most everyone. Do you think all unhappy takers are narcissists? Do you think all unhappy takers are narcissists? Do you think unhappy takers lack certain cognitive capacities for empathy, consideration, or equality in community? Think about it. Alright, last but not least are matchers. Do you think you're a matcher? Matchers give and take in equal measure for the most part. There are different types of matchers. I have certainly had different types of matcher friendships. Sometimes it's a heavy back and forth, while with others we rarely, if not ever, exchange help and favors. Matchers might help a lot and also ask for help when they need it, or they might be a matcher who neither helps much nor depends on others to get their jobs done. So that's where the difference is. I typically lean a bit on the giver side, though I live with a matcher mindset. I just don't ask for a lot of help, but I love helping others. I have a strong sense of community, and I believe I need to show up for my neighbors and friends in need. Like that is a part of my value system. Show up for your friends and neighbors in need. It's not about even balance. It's about functioning and happy community members, aka family and friends. Matchers are people who keep a good balance of giving and taking. Now that I have laid out the various types of givers and takers and showed how matchers can be a bit diverse too, what kind of reciprocity style do you think you embody most often? Who do you think you are to the people in your life? Do you expect a lot from others? Or are you always on alert looking for what needs to be taken care of? There certainly seems to be a healthy approach to reciprocity. What do you think is the best way to go about giving and taking in life?
go ahead and throw it in the YouTube comments. I really would love to know. Let's take a deeper look at how each type of person can thrive, survive, or crumble within a functional space. The functional space I am referring to is the workspace. When we are at work with other humans, usually there are times when we have to work together or at least touch base with team members. What reciprocity style do you think thrives best in the workplace? Do givers, takers, or matchers come out on top at work and in life? Guess which of these types is most successful at work? Drum roll. It turns out, givers tend to be the worst performers in the workplace. People that are givers are at a disadvantage across a wide range of occupations because they continually sacrifice their own success to help others succeed, according to research. I feel this. I have super struggled with this. Not just at work, but in life in general. My traumatic childhood embedded codependency in me as an adult. All of my 20s, I was hypervigilant and perpetually seeking to elevate other people's lives, but not my own. It felt better to help others rather than touch my own life. I didn't want to touch it. Codependency is a wild mindset that creates super unhelpful favors for the human actually performing said behaviors. Most of the good stuff goes to the other people and you are left with no time or energy to give sufficiently to yourself. And if you are super light 20-something breezy, then you have also have crippling anxiety and rumination from any and every interaction you had. Okay, so givers do not perform well at work. Then that must mean takers or matchers are the top performers, right? Not exactly. It's the giving people again. Yep. The worst and best performers at work are others focused and takers and matchers tend to land in the middle. At this point, I think we are all wondering, does being a giver pay off? It seems giving does have a positive impact at an organizational level. So, not individual level. Nathan P. Podsakoff and his team at the University of Arizona conducted a meta-analysis across 38 studies covering more than 3,500 business units and found that companies with a culture of generosity and giving, which they call organizational citizenship behaviors, are more likely to have higher productivity, efficiency, customer satisfaction, as well as reduced costs. The individual impact of being a giver is different than when an entire group or company operates within the realm of giving. Being a giver in a friend group is not the same as being a giver in a work group. In addition, givers may get more support from fellow colleagues on their way up to success, which totally makes sense. These people are freaking loved for what they do for others. Humans inherently root for the kind humans. Think about it. Something distinctive happens when givers succeed. It seems to spread and cascade. When takers win, there's usually someone else who loses. Research shows that people tend to envy successful takers 
and look for ways to knock them down. In contrast, when givers win, people are rooting for them and supporting them. Givers succeed in a way that creates a ripple effect, enhancing the success of people around them. Givers may inspire others to act in a more giving way. Even if the main objective and motivation is not to actually be more giving, but to reap the benefits of giving more. Hey, whatever gets people helping others a bit more, I'm here for that social psychology magic making. You could say that successful givers generate win-win-win situations. When they succeed, their colleagues are elevated, and the company performs better too. Since givers can end up either at the lowest or the highest levels of performance, how can you make sure you are one of the most successful givers, if that's who you want to be? If your goal is moderate success, then living as a taker or a matcher will serve you fine. Definitely consider the social implications of being a taker. But if you want to be part of the top performing members of your organization or network, or to have a positive impact on the world and foster win-win-win relationships with people around you, you may want to try to become a smart giver. If you haven't noticed, I am a major giver in the online realm. I have different boundaries in the real world, and I think that's wise as the world that exists around us surely does seem to operate differently than when people are behind a screen. We seem to be more brave but also more selfish behind screens. Here are three ways to determine and choose what reciprocity style is best for your life, especially if you are a giver that is not reaping the benefits. Change your mindset, help wisely, track your impact. And we're going to break those down. Change your mindset. Consider the lens through which you are viewing what you do. How do we perceive our chosen behaviors? Who are we in our relationships with friends and family? Do people rely on us or seem to avoid us in some way? For the professional context, ask yourself who exactly is affected by your work. How do your choices impact the experience of colleagues and customers? How can we align our decisions so when we win, everyone wins? Instead of being self-focused like a taker, or transactional like a matcher, think of an expanding pie where everyone can benefit from success. Second one, help wisely. We need to consider the way that we are giving. It does not mean we need to become a taker and only help when it benefits ourselves. We also do not need to become a matcher and only help when we receive equal value in return. Rather, it means that we need to make sure we are helping achieve goals that are beneficial in general, not only to the person we are helping. Ask yourself, is this good for the better of the whole? Community, family, work group. Third, track your impact. Self-reflection is a must. The more we become self-aware, the more we can make things happen in our life. Write down who you've helped. Was it just one person who may have been a taker? Or did your help have a wider positive impact, which justifies the time and energy you spent to provide support? 
If you feel like your impact wasn't as positive as you expected, try to think of the factors at play and how you can be wiser next time you are asked for help. You might find that saying no opens up the opportunity for you to feel better about helping, as well as strengthens your autonomy, and you learn what type of people are best in your life. Just watch what happens when you start saying no. It's amazing. My whole life changed when I started saying no to the people that I surrounded myself with. Wherever you are in the spectrum of reciprocity styles, remember that it is a choice. You can practice wise generosity to become a smart giver and create a positive ripple effect around yourself. Or you can wonder why the vibes are always weird because in truth, you are a happy taker. Instead of an automatic behavior, choosing how we engage with friends and colleagues can be a conscious choice. This just isn't about reciprocity. We can choose far beyond being a giver, taker, or matcher. Every single thing we do is a choice. If you feel out of control, that's your dopamine and other neurochemicals running the show. This happens when we constantly go after quick gratification, desires, and wants, rather than fundamental needs and longer-term goals. You can always take back control. You can always choose differently. If it hurts, again, that's dopamine trying to get you to go back to your old ways. Lean in where you may not want to lean the most, and you might find greatness was hanging out there all along, wondering when you were going to show up. What are you going to choose to do? Who are you going to choose to be for yourself and others? I'd love to hear about your journey and realizations in the comment section on YouTube. For real. Give it to me. We are all in this together. I would love to hear your realizations. I received a message yesterday on Instagram and somebody told me that they realized they were a taker. And not only that, but they were spreading toxic femininity amongst their friends. And that awareness is the first step to a better life. You're not a bad person for doing something you didn't mean to do. And you can always choose better. It is always up to us. We always have control, even if it seems we have lost it. It never, ever slips away from our grasp, just possibly very far from our perception. If you want to learn even more, check out the blog, where you can also find recommended products and supporting links in each blog post. You can also enjoy two free lifestyle success courses, as well as other options to upgrade your life on the website. All the best today, Biebs. You got this. This is Breezy signing off from another episode of From Struggle to Success.